When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Monday Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, talking about the basketball Buckeyes on this one. We might touch briefly on the Super Bowl, but Sam Hubbard made some good plays. We're not going to go a ton on the Super Bowl at the end. So this is mostly a basketball podcast. Ohio State beats Michigan over the weekend. Again, we'd like to try to place Ohio State in context here to win at Michigan, Stephen. Michigan have been getting it together a little bit lately. Ohio State, not a great road record this year. They have that win over Duke. Is this one of their better wins this season to, to beat the Wolverines like they did? Yeah, it's a quad one win, which is always a good thing. Ohio State needs more of those caliber of wings because you know, right now they're four and five. They were three and five heading into that game and quad against quad one teams, three and one against quad two, and then eight and get combined against quad three and quad four. But yeah, from that standpoint, when you're talking about tournament seeding, it's a pretty big win. But then also given how the Rutgers game ended and how they basically just had a total collapse they kind of needed to right the ship a little bit and nip that in the butt quickly before it became a bigger issue the way we've seen in the past where something that happens in the regular season ends up defining this team later on. So those two things, yeah, this is a pretty big win. Did you think they'd bounce back from Rutgers or did you have real doubts about like, oh man, this could be like uh, the beginning of a slide here? I thought Michigan was the perfect team to test it because they were coming off that blowout win over Purdue. And as you already mentioned, they had started getting some things together. They're 13 and 10. But their talent levels suggest that that's an underachieving record, especially given what they were able to do last year, even if they did lose some of those pieces. So um, I was a little skeptical. I picked Michigan to win just because it it was in Ann Arbor and not Columbus. Um, But they proved me wrong. So, yeah, I was a little bit skeptical that maybe that would that momentum of what Michigan was able to do during their midday midweek game and how Ohio State finished theirs might seep into Saturday's game. I like to compare Ohio State to Michigan, so I want to do a, a little bit of that later. Um, EJ Liddell, though, 26 in that game. And you and you you sort of find things you go through the Twitter burst, and there are some national people getting they get very excited about EJ Liddell at times. How close is EJ Liddell to 
first team All American, almost borderline national player of the year kind of status. I know I think I've, you know, there's been stuff in recent days or recent weeks where even if you said first team All Big Ten, he maybe isn't necessarily guaranteed that. But when he goes off for 26, it felt like right at times in this Michigan state st- in this Michigan game, Stephen, it was like, well, maybe this isn't working and that isn't working, but it doesn't matter. EJ Liddell is just going to do his thing at his best. Is he that level? Yeah, because he's doing this in big games. I mean, he's done it every single night outside of like maybe two or three, but Michigan, you know, the Duke game, you know, when they were playing on the neutral site floors against, you know, Florida and Seton Hall, he seems that, you know, really, he's been great all season, but in these moments where it's like, all right, it's time to go win the game, which is why it was so interesting that he didn't necessarily get a shot the last two minutes and 33 seconds of the Rutgers game, because that seems like where you make your money as with EJ Liddell. But yes, I think there are maybe four or five Big Ten players alone who can be in the National Player of the Year conversation he's for sure one of them which is why it's not crazy to think that like you can have a national player the legitimate national player of the year candidate who doesn't even make first team all conference did they learn something valuable from that Rutgers loss when they I I don't like the silver lining stuff but I think it's more likely you can have silver lining stuff in basketball because nobody goes undefeated in basketball so it's Mm -hmm. you're built in to learn from losses because losses are part of the deal in football one loss can ruin your whole thing so then you take a loss you're like oh wow we learned from it it's like okay well you didn't try to lose that they didn't that they let that game get away against Rutgers without insisting that the ball run through EJ Liddell without being like it doesn't matter what else is happening we have to get the ball in this guy's hands. The fact that it happened at Rutgers and they blew a lead and they lost, does that mean that will never happen again to the rest of the year? Did the players and Chris Holtman and EJ himself learn from that? I'm not going to go that far because um, anything's possible. I, I don't think the team is veterans, so I don't think they learned anything from it. I think they did kind of chalk that one off that things got wacky. And I think even Holtman said after the game on Saturday, like three minutes is a long time. In basketball, that's like 10 more possessions combined. And so anything can happen. And so they chalked up more of that. But I do think Malachi Branham learned some things from that because they put the ball in his hands. He barely hit the rim on one. He airballed on another. He got a shot blocked on what should have been a breakaway layup in an easy easy two points on another. Um, That was a for a guy who's growing into this role as a number two and is about six months away from being the number one guy. I think that was his first taste of it and he didn't necessarily perform the right way. And that's fine. He's a freshman, but I think if anybody learned from that situation, it's going to be Malachi because there's going to be plenty of times over the next two years where he's going to be put in that exact same situation again, where he's got to close out a team. Okay. So, but how, how good then do you think if they do it the right way, is this a good team down the stretch of a game or not? That as long as they keep EJ involved, do you generally like their chances in the last three minutes of a game with, with the game on the line? Yeah, because they had built up some equity in the Seton Hall game where Michi hits the deep three. Obviously, the, they lost the Florida game, but they were in that down the stretch. EJ put the game away against Duke. So uh, – even the Purdue game, that's, I mean, Jaden Ivey just had a really great shot, but they were in that. EJ Liddell hit some big time shots down the stretch there to get it tied up in the first place. And then the Michigan game, how they put that away as well. So uh, the right, the Rutgers game is the one off because it was so bad and it just like kept, you know, adding, piling on itself. But I do think overall down the stretch, this is a good team. Okay. Uh, I'll buy that. I think you are 
allowed to have moments where you're not yourself, but it's, it's a dangerous game of was that a fluke or was that real? But as now, again, back to this Michigan game to win on the road at Michigan after a loss like that, was that the real Ohio State team to you? Was there anything that was fluky about that? That, hey, you know, Michigan did this wrong and let Ohio State get away with something or whatever. Or was that just like, hey, that's the real Ohio State. They won on the road to a team that was has talent and is maybe gaming momentum and they took care of business. No, Ohio State won that game. That's the real Ohio State. Because you have to – I even texted this at halftime to our Texas. Uh, the fact that at halftime they were up 33-30 to 30, – Zed Key had spent most of the game in foul trouble. Malachi Brenham couldn't find the rim. You know, Justin Orange had reverted back to, I don't want to shoot the ball, even though I'm our best shooter. It was basically the EJ Liddell show, and you sprinkled in some Cedric Russell. And that's basically what it was all night. Those were the only two guys who were in double figures. While for Michigan, it was the same thing. But, like, guys didn't shoot well for Michigan. Hunter Dickinson didn't get it going until late. Eli Brooks was only 6 of 16. So they they – defended at a really high level and actually kind of overcame some of the fact that some pieces that should be, you know, automatics for Ohio State didn't necessarily play up to par. This is the second time that Ohio State's faced a seven-footer in the Big Ten, and in both of those games, Zed Key's basically been a foul away from fouling out. All right. Two big things I want to cover. I want to cover is Ohio State closer to underrated or is Ohio State closer to overrated? And I also want to do a little bit Chris Holtman versus Juwan Howard, where we are with the state of basketball and the state of Michigan basketball. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Lane Reese and Stephen Means. Stephen, you heard, you heard him mention it. 614-350-3315 for the text if you guys want to be in on the ground floor and getting the info and analysis as it happens. So this happens, Stephen. It's an unbalanced schedule. They in the big 10, you play 20 conference games currently, right? Mm-hmm. So there are 13. So there's 14 teams. I mean, there's 13 other teams. So if you play everybody twice, that's 26 games. So that means you have seven. You play twice and six teams. You play once And Ohio state's not in charge of that. You just have to play who you play. However, their schedule, they got lucky this year with some of the double plays and some of the single plays. I think there are probably, if we're just like, there's probably five bad teams in the Big Ten this year. Is that fair to say? If we start Mm -hmm. with Northwestern, that's five and nine. Northwestern every now and then will be competitive in a game, but they're not good. Northwestern's five and nine in the Big Ten. Penn State's four and nine in the Big Ten. Minnesota's three and 10. Maryland's three and 11. Nebraska's one and 13. Those five bad teams, one, two, three, four, five, six. Ohio State is currently six and zero oh against the awful teams. They are two and four against everybody else. They have three more games left against awful teams. So the five worst teams, they're going to play four of them twice. They're going to wind up playing nine games against terrible teams, and they're probably going to go nine and zero. Oh. So we're going to look at their Big Ten record at the end, and we're going to say, oh, what's their Big Ten record? Oh, they're 13 and seven. It's going to be like, yeah, well, they're nine and zero against the horrible teams and they're four and seven against everybody else. Listen, I get it. Beating horrible teams is very important. If they lost to horrible teams, you should hear what I say when they lose to horrible teams. But Steven, they haven't played Illinois yet. They haven't played Michigan state yet. They did split with Wisconsin. They lost to Purdue in a competitive game. 
I look at their record and that they are taking care of business, but they're lucky to be getting this much business against the lousy teams. And I wonder, okay, they're eight and four in the Big Ten. They're kind of in the fight, right? For, mm-hmm. I mean, they're only the the first place team has three losses. So they have four. They're one of four teams with four losses. They're kind of there. They don't have as many wins because they had two postponed games they're going to make up. But then I sometimes look and I think, ah, they're actually not as good as their record. And I don't want to go too far with that because you play good teams, you play bad teams. But I am, I am curious, Stephen, if you think they are at the moment standing on some uh, matchsticks and it's not a huge strong foundation for this team or my overdoing schedule analysis um you're not i think they are i think they're perfectly rated but if i had to lean one way for the sake of not giving a nathan bayard answer um i would lean more underrated because of the upside when things are clicking the problem is we just haven't seen things clicking enough um but yeah i i think they're their record makes sense um, outside of the Rutgers loss, which was like kind of wild. But if you would have told me that they'd be nine and three in the Big Ten at this point, I'd have been like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially when you add in. There was a point in the season where it was only EJ, EJ Liddell before Malachi came along. Justin Orange goes through his usual, you know, shooting, you know, scarcity. Justice Sewing hasn't played since game two. It's a really young backcourt. When you add in all these factors, you told me they would have been nine and three. I'd have been like, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I probably could have picked out the losses too, especially that loss at Wisconsin. I think I could have, and maybe even the Purdue, the Purdue loss as well. Those are the two for sure I would have picked out. Um, but I'll lean more underrated because I do want to see what happens if Justin Orange is making shots. EJ and Lamalakai are doing what they're doing. Maybe Cedric is bringing the spark that he brings in these bigger games. And then like Zed Key is controlling things on the post. What happens when all of those things happens at the same time? Maybe it happens in, in the Illinois game. It's going to have to happen in the Illinois game if they're going to beat them. But it, I think once I see that, if I see that, I'll have a better gauge on if this team is maybe closer to underrated or overrated. But I'll lean more underrated for now. And they are eight and four in the Big Ten. They're yes, that's what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, say again, can you run through again the NCAA tournament resume that you mentioned earlier with the quadrants? And what those mean. I think you said they were four and five in the top quadrant. Like, and it's yes. like, is that good? Actually, because listen, when you're all the good teams are playing each other, if you're kind of like 500 against other good teams, I don't know. That seems okay to me. I, I don't know how that compares. Listen, if some team out there is 17 and two, we know they're beating everybody. But what, what, what are we to make of the quality of their wins? Is four and five in quadrant one good or not? It's, I mean, it's average. It's what, you know, being around 500 in quad one wins is pretty, I mean, most teams are around 500 to just break it down though. So the quads, how they rank the quad rankings is based on something that was actually introduced uh, two years ago. My, I think my second year covering Ohio State basketball and it's called the net rankings and a quad one win by definition is if you beat a team who is ranked one through 30th in the net rankings at home, one through 50th on a neutral for Four and one through 75 on a, on a, if it's a road win. And then quad two is 31 through 75 at home, 51 through 100 at neutral, and then 76 to 135 away. Those are the two wins. Those were what matter. Quad three and quad four. Okay. You should, you should be winning quad three and quad four team 
games if you're a tur- if you're a lock to be a tournament team. So we're not even going to get into those quad one and quad two wins are what matter when you're talking about tournament teams. Ohio State is ranked 17th right now in the net rankings because they're 15 and six. They're four and five on the road, 10 and 0 at home. They are four and five in quad one and they're three and one in, in, against quad two teams. That, that's it's OK. It's a decent record. But there are like Auburn is, you know, seven is excuse me, is seven and two in quad one wins and six and zero oh in quad two wins. Gonzaga is six and two in quad one wins. But then you also got a Houston who's one and three in quad one wins and they're ranked fifth in it. So it's it's up and down the scale. But if you're floating around 500 and quad one wins and then you've got a winning record in quad two wins, you're usually in a good spot. You're probably going to be a top five season. I mean, like, you know, fifth seed or higher. Okay. And as we think seed right now, the projections, there's lots of people who do bracket projections. Is it like a five seed, a six seed? I mean, it would seem to be if they want to try to make the sweet 16, you know, to try to get to like a four seed will be pretty good. If you're a six seed and all of a sudden, you know, you've got to play a three seed uh, in the round of 32, that can be a little dicey. It feels like maybe five or six is where they would be right now, which is where it's going to really matter when they play Illinois, when they play Michigan state, when they get into the big 10 tournament, another couple wins against top 10 type teams would I think really make a huge difference for the NCAA tournament chances. I think they can get up. I think they're probably a lock in the five or six right now. They average out to 5.44 according to bracket matrix, which is just a accumulation of all the major, you know, bracketologists out there, uh, which is, it's actually the lowest of the five seeds. They're they're with Marquette, Michigan state and Texas are the other five seeds. Let's just say they beat Illinois. And I don't think they should do, uh, they win. First of all, six of the last eight games are at home. So you just win every single home game. You can, you finish the season undefeated at home, which means you also beat Michigan state. And then you, you win Illinois, you beat Illinois on the road. You do that. You're probably the highest five seed going into the big 10 tournament. Um, And then you should just be okay with that because I am, like I've said it time and time again, I think they should win one big 10 tournament game just for the sake of momentum and, you know, gelling and then lose and just, just get out and go focus on the NCAA tournament. But if they decide not to listen to me and we get into a situation like we had last year where they're playing in the Big Ten tournament game, I wouldn't be surprised if they snuck in as like the third highest four seed because you beat Illinois, you beat Michigan State, you've got four other quad one wins, uh, and then you just made a big run in what everybody thinks is the toughest tournament, the the toughest conference in college basketball. It's interesting that if they – I mean, it's hard – when we try to analyze them in the NCAA tournament, Stephen, because they were a two seed last year and they lost. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh man, you don't want to be a two seed and get one of those dangerous 15s. So, you know, 512 is the upset that everybody in the tournament always talks about and always looks for. That can be a dangerous spot because if you're a power conference team with good talent, but not great talent, and every now and then you're a little goofy and you make dumb mistakes and you're playing like a supercharged mid-major with either one NBA guy or you're the kind of 12 seed that never makes mistakes and mm-hmm. runs perfect offense and doesn't give up back cuts and stuff on defense and that you're just rock solid. That can be hard if you're a talented power team that isn't locked in every night. So Again, I don't I don't want to overdo it. It doesn't feel like though, again, they were a two, they 
were a two last year. That feels now the one thing is if it, you just floated, float, you know, they're eight and four. You just floated when there's six remaining home games and winning a game on the road. That's seven and one in the Big Ten down the stretch. That's 15 and five. That would be pretty darn good. That that might get some attack. That I don't know. Could that get them to a three? I just I, you're, but you're saying though, it's probably it's not really thinking about are they going to get to a two or three? The Duke win will come in handy though when it comes down to crunch time. But probably it's more about four or five, which isn't that big of a deal. Make sure you don't wind up at a six where you're having to play a three seed in the second round. But that's where you would guess right now: a four seed or a five seed. Yeah, because as much as big of a deal as that Illinois win it would be and the Michigan State win, even if it's at home, I think in Big Ten play, the win that would have been the most impactful is the Purdue game, just because Purdue's been a top five, top ten team in mm. all season, while Illinois has kind of been quietly doing this, which is why they're only ranked you know 13th right now in the AP poll. That'll have changed by the time you guys hear this, just because the AP poll, the new one comes out, um, and I at noon and I'm pretty sure I put them in like at like number 11 or something in my poll. Um, but yeah, just cause like Purdue's clearly the best is the most talented team in the big 10 and to go into West Lafayette and to win that game would have made some noise. Cause it, it made noise even if when they lost the game, because they stayed put at number 15 at the time, they never, they didn't move down or move up. They stayed right there. And so that, that, that's why I am locked into the idea of the best possible scenario is maybe you're the third highest four seed, but you probably need to start preparing to be a five seed. Okay. And then they are built for the tournament or no? Yeah. I think this team's better built for the tournament than last year's team. Um, and some of that just is because EJ Liddell is a lot better, especially in those closing moments, but your second guy and as much as I love Dwayne Washington and he had a pretty good night for the Pacers like about a couple of weeks ago. And he looked, he clearly has a game that was like built for the NBA and not for college. Um, Malachi Branham is not as sporadic. He has been steadily in, inclining and yeah, he had a bad shooting night against Michigan, but he just had a bad shooting night. He isn't as much of a roller coaster and he seems a little bit more ready for that moment. I think Zed key is a better post player. Then Kyle Young, I think Kyle Young's obviously a more valuable player because he does a little bit of all these different things, but Zed Key's a better post player. I just think this team is better built for what happened last year to not happen again because there's not a guy who's going to shoot them out the game. And then EJ has shown time and time again this season that he's not going to have another, you know, collapse at the free throw line the way he did last year. I am very interested in teams not having a guy who might potentially shoot you out of a close game against a good team. Mm -hmm. I don't, you said you liked what you prefaced your Dwayne Washington comments by saying, I like Dwayne Washington, whatever is it? Nothing personal. I do not like Dwayne Washington's game. <laughs> Dwayne Washington's game made me very nervous all the time because it was good enough to make him think he was better than he was. And I don't, as you just said, like Malachi Branham is not that kind of, player that if they get into a game and i'm also scarred by william buford two for 16 against kentucky in the sweet 16 or whatever that was and, and it does make me a little bit nervous again i'm not going to preface it by saying i like will buford's game because i actually thought will buford's game was fine he was not i thought sometimes people got a little too excited about him i thought he had a ceiling on his game a little bit i didn't think he was 
I thought Will Buford was sort of right in between an absolute pure shooter and a scorer who can get you buckets and is super athletic in a lot of different ways. I didn't think he was quite either of those, which kind of wound up in the middle. And he was kind of a mid-range guy, which sort of cracked the door on two for 16s. Every now and then I invented a stat called a Buford back then that was like, you take this many shots and you shoot this low of a percentage. And it, God, it just, it can, at the wrong time, it can kill you. Dwayne Washington in a different way was that kind of guy. Malachi's not that. If Malachi, say, say they get in a tournament game, Stephen, and Malachi starts the game one for seven, what happens for Ohio State? Where do they go from there? They gave EJ the ball, and eventually Malachi's going to figure it out. And here's the fundamental difference between those two, and even Buford to an extent. I have no idea half the time where Dwayne Washington or William Buford shot, shots were coming from. Hmm. They were going to come. I just don't know where. I know exactly where Malachi's shots are coming from. And Holtman also knows where his shots are coming from because he does not, when he's running plays for him, he's running him to get to those spots. While with Dwayne, a lot of times it was like, here, Dwayne, go do something with it. And he's like, okay, I'll go do something with it. You might not like it, but I'm going to do it. And it might go in or it might break off the backboard. And now they're off and running. Malachi is going to get shots in the mid range. He does, there's not a lot of ISO ball with Malachi right now. One, because he just needs to become a better ball handler, which will come with time. That's he's just, you know, he's long and lanky and ball handling isn't his strength. But he gets to the mid-range, he gets the one dribble pull-up, or he gets to the basket, he gets layups, he gets the reverse layups, and sometimes he'll get to the free throw line as well. But they're consistently coming from the same spots. And so when you're getting shots from the same spots all the time, especially shots where you know you can hit them, eventually they're going to start falling. Because if you shoot 50% from a place, okay, if he starts off one for seven, then he's probably going to be six for seven in the second half. Because that's just that's how basketball works sometimes. And so I am not – I was never worried when Malachi wasn't shooting well on Saturday. He just stopped shooting the ball because EJ got going so hot and Cedric Russell got involved. So it, didn't, it really didn't matter. But it's no different than earlier in the Purdue game when EJ Liddell was struggling and Malachi wasn't. You knew eventually EJ was going to come along for the ride. The other thing, a year ago, Ohio State wound up as a two seed in the tournament. Ohio, the Big Ten had four of the top 17, seven seeds in the NCAA tournament last year. Uh, Illinois was a one seed and the overall three seed a year ago. Michigan was a one seed and the overall four seed. Ohio State was a two and the overall six. Iowa was a two and the overall seven. The Big Ten was really, really good. Ohio State right now is fifth in the Big Ten. Is the Big Ten possibly almost that good again, Stephen, that if Ohio State can just avoid, you know, the first round upset, can this league make it the run in a tournament? And will we get a sense of, hey, if there were ever moments where I'm complaining that all Ohio State's doing is beating the bottom tier teams and are they going to beat Michigan State? Are they going to beat Illinois? They lost to Purdue. They split with Wisconsin. Well, guess what? Are Wisconsin and Illinois and Purdue and Michigan State like are are they as good almost as as anybody out there? How good do you think is the league this year? Or if it's not quite that good, how should how should our perception of Ohio State be affected by the level of play in the Big Ten this season? The Big Ten's deep. I don't know how good it actually is. They're going to probably okay. get they're going to get seven teams comfortably into the tournament this year. And then Michigan and Rutgers are just kind of flirting with it and might end up sneaking in there, depending on how this month goes. So you could get up to nine teams in it. 
um, with the highest being Purdue as a one seed and then Wisconsin, uh, Illinois, Michigan State, Ohio State all being five or higher. Um, so it's deep. But what happened last year and even the year before that to an extent where every year we're coming in, it's like, oh, the Big Ten has vastly more teams in the big in the NCAA tournament than everybody else. But then by you know Saturday, they're all going home. I that's also on the table. Um, and it's I don't it's it's a combination of the Big Ten beats up on itself every year, but then also they maybe it just maybe it also because it beats up on itself, maybe it gets propped up in a way that it shouldn't. But I, I think I think there is a case that the SEC and the ACC's best teams are better than the Big Ten's best teams. But like the floor of the Big Ten is higher than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's why they consistently get, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten teams into the tournament while everybody else has five or six. OK, max. And again, what we're talking about, if there's if there's maybe nine Big Ten teams who sort of have NCAA tournament hopes at the moment. And you're saying, Stephen, probably seven will get in. Ohio State is six and oh against the five teams that are definitely not going to make the tournament. Mm-hmm. And they are two and four against the Big Ten teams that are in the mix for the tournament. And then the rest of the way, they have three games against the teams that are definitely out. And they have five games against the teams that might be in. So you're, you know, win at home. That's not to be underrated. They're, they haven't lost at home, right? Is that right? 10-0. They're 10-0 they're at home. So if they keep that rolling, six out of eight at home, again, it's a quirk of the fact that they had postponed games. It's not that the schedule was planned this way. But if they do that, that's 15-5 and five in, the, in the floating to seven and one where you win all your home games and split on the road. If they, if they beat the three bad teams and go, you know, one and four against the tournament level teams, now all of a sudden – you've lost nine conference games. Now you're 11 and nine in conference and that's not so great. Or if you go two and three, now you're, you lost eight conference games. So this is, this is a stretch that's really going to matter to them. So you guys know that they're in barring a like absolute collapse where they, they lose seven of their last eight. They're in, that's not going to happen. They're going to be in and let's not ever take that for granted because there's a lot of good teams out there. Everybody wants to make the tournament and, you know, Maryland is a pretty good basketball program that fell off a cliff at the moment with the coaching stuff they've had. And Nebraska thought they were going to revitalize themselves by hiring Fred Hoiberg and all the success he'd had in Iowa State. They stink. You know, Minnesota, once upon a time, was pretty decent at basketball. Penn State had a little revival in recent years. They stink. So Ohio State is way better than stink. And they're actually pretty darn good. And I did think that's why I thought, as you were saying, Stephen, that win at Michigan. It's only their second Big Ten win against a team that has a chance to make the tournament among Big mm-hmm. Ten teams. So that's why that was such a big thing. Had they lost to Michigan following the loss at Rutgers, the mood of this podcast, I think we would really be questioning some things. And anything I brought up that was like, well, I don't know. Is there a hole in their resume? They're beating up on bad teams. Well, I don't know. Late game stuff. They blew it against Rutgers and they blew it again against Michigan. That was, I don't say it it wasn't the pivotal point of the season, but as you said, that's a kind of a perfect get well game, but they had to get well and they had to win on the road because they've been so good at home. They haven't been as obviously nobody's as good on the road. I'm really now realizing like you, I said, you picked them to lose to Michigan. That's a very reasonable pick. Michigan's getting hot. 
that was a pretty huge game. And they were pretty in control most of the, almost, I mean, basically the whole game. It felt like in the second half there, you're watching, it's like, uh-oh, here comes a Michigan run. Like, it never, they never let it happen. That was a really good sort of professional, take care of business kind of win that a good team gets at a pivotal moment in a season. Yeah, there was a point in the game, second half, where Michigan got it down to five. It was 52 to 47 with 527 to play. And I'm watching the game and I'm like, all right, well, here it comes. They're going to Rutgers this thing again. Michigan's going to walk away with a win. And I'm preparing to write um, for the morning what I was going to write and basically discuss on this entire pod. And then all of a sudden, nope, EJ hits a three. Hunter Dickinson hits a jump shot. And then from that point on, you know, Ohio State, the only points they gave up were two free throws and a three-pointer and a meaningless time at the end of the game. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. You fixed that problem. Check that off the list. And you fixed it because you did what? You gave the ball to EJ Liddell and told everybody else to get out the way. And he did exactly what you would want to see from a guy who should be in a position to be a national player, the victim player, or whatever you want to throw, whatever Chris Holtman wants to pound the table about next. But yeah, that, that, you know, 52 to 47 with 527 left to play is where I really locked in because that was going to tell me everything I needed to know about this basketball team coming off of what happened on Wednesday night. All right. When we come back, I want to answer the question, is Ohio State or Michigan more of a basketball school? And we'll talk a little bit about the latest recruit for their basketball program next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. Stephen, let's just give everybody a quick lowdown on the latest 2023 commit, second guy in the 2023 class. Is that correct? Yes, he is. Austin Parks Memorial High School down in St. Mary's. St. Mary's up or down? I don't. I don't have a sense of direction. Stop somewhere Terrible in Ohio. Geography. Yeah, yeah. Let's Buckeye talk. Um, number one forty-eight player in the country, the number eighteen center, um, Zed Key like center. Skilled offensively, really undersized, 6'9", 240. Um, and I think when I texted out, someone was like, oh, great, another undersized sitter who shouldn't be a center or something like that. But, yeah, really skilled player, had, had some quality offers. Illinois, Indiana, Michigan State were also in the picture for him as well. It continues Chris Holtman's run of he's had at least one Ohio guy. And every single class he's had here, he's at seven overall. This is the latest version of that. But, you know, I think the big thing that you take away from this is, you know, last year we were asking time and time again, where's the big man? Where's the big man? Where's the big man? Well, now Zedke senior year, you'll have Zedke as your starter. You'll have Felix Okpora, the six foot 11, seven footer in the 2022 class. He'll be coming in. He'll be in his second year. Now you've got Austin Parks behind him. So you've got a lot of depth there, especially when you're losing Joey Brunk and Kyle Young at the end of the season. So they've revamped the depth at that spot. Ohio, this is their second committed class of George, George Washington, the third, the combo guard out of Kentucky. They now have the third best class in the Big Ten behind Purdue and Indiana, and they have the fourth best class in the country. Duke is number one. Pretty good. Again, that's coming in behind this 2022 class, which has uh, four top 100 guys, which is a very, very legit class. Okay, so Juwan Howard got hired by Michigan, and everybody got fired up right away, justifiably, I think. I'm not backing off. I don't think there's any reason to back off the idea that Juwan Howard was a great hire for Michigan in the aftermath of John Beeline and that he has a chance to be a really good college football coach, uh, college basketball coach for a really long time. But Juwan Howard, Stephen is now one in four against Ohio state in three years. And Chris Holtman in his five seasons is five and three against Michigan. So Ohio state just beat Michigan last year. 
Michigan won in the regular season in Columbus and then in the Big Ten tournament semifinal. Michigan was the one seed in the Big Ten tournament. Ohio State was the five seed. Ohio State wins by a point in that game. The difference, of course, Michigan's one seed last year. They get to the Elite Eight in the tournament. Ohio State's two seed. They lose in the first round. But right now, that Michigan under Juwan Howard is one and four against Ohio State, that Ohio State under Chris Holtman is five and three against Michigan. Um, Ohio State's higher in the standings than Michigan right now. Juwan Howard's first year, Michigan wasn't great, but it was kind of a fixing up year. And then again, they were a one seed and were the regular season Big Ten champ and made the Elite Eight. Last year was great for Michigan. And there had kind of been this thing, and it wasn't only under Juwan Howard. It had obviously happened under John Beeline when they made two national championship games as Jim Harbaugh was struggling, but especially as as Brady Hoke and Rich Rodriguez were driving the Michigan football program into the, into the ground. It was like Michigan became more of a basketball school than it was a football school for a while. It was kind of a nice way to talk about Michigan underachieving in football. But now we're in a world where Michigan is coming off a playoff berth. Jim Harbaugh has kind of gotten it going there a little bit. I don't know that Michigan has to say that they're a basketball school to make themselves feel better. They're good at, they're very good at both right now, but I don't know, Steven, I, I probably have been guilty at times of being more fired up about Juwan Howard than I am about Chris Holtman. Chris Holtman's four and one against Juwan Howard. What's a better basketball program right now? Is it Ohio state or is it Michigan? I think Michigan's the better program. I think Holtman might be the better coach, if that makes is sense. Mich- is Michigan recruiting better than Ohio State? Or vastly better. They they're coming off a recruiting class that finished third in the country and had two five stars. And they're both like Caleb Houston and uh, Musa Yabade. They're both playing for them. Um, uh, Musa's the starter. He he was he spent most of the day on uh, EJ on Saturday. So much better. Uh, the the whole like idea that like Jawan Howard was going to come in in the first place. You were going to see the impact is on the recruiting trail. That theory has lived the test of time because you got the number three class the, after the number 14 class where you got Hunter Dickinson in that class was clearly proven to be a five-star talent the way from a college basketball standpoint. Yeah. He's, he's recruiting better than Chris Holtman is this, is this past class is Holtman's first real. Well, I mean, EJ's class was pretty good too, but it fell apart. This is, but this class here where it's top five in the country, this 2022 class is the first time we've seen this from Holtman. That's kind of the expectation at Michigan right now with Juwan Howard. But I do think, Chris Holtman might just be a better game day coach right now, which is why, because even the win that Michigan has, it it had to score 92 points to get it. And Ohio State was in that game the entire way to the point where it felt like Ohio State might be able to pull that game out because it was 92 to 87. So I think, yeah, I'll go with that answer. Michigan's the better program, um, but Chris Holtman might be the better coach from an X's and O's standpoint right now. But if Ohio State was coming off an Elite Eight appearance, had a top five recruiting class that included two five stars who were playing and they were seven and six in the big 10 and 13 and 10 overall, I'd be howling, right? That this is Michigan from what they were last season. This has been a bit of a weird year for them. And that just as we're saying, that was a big win for Ohio state. That was a big loss for Michigan because it felt like, Right. Didn't they think, hey, okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. And Mm -hmm. then it's like, nope, Ohio State came in and kind of took care of business the whole day. It's it's an interesting spot. I don't know what Michigan basketball fans 
are thinking right now. I would imagine that if they were mostly thinking, is Jim Harbaugh going to be the coach of the Vikings or not? But this is a bit of a weird year where I think, Stephen, a lot of people thought that last year for Michigan was the beginning of something and they were going to continue to ascend. And you're going to go there. They win the Big Ten. They're in the Elite Eight. Well, OK, pretty soon, Juwan Howard, they're going to be contending for a national championship. And instead, you know, they're tied with Iowa and Indiana and behind Rutgers in the Big Ten standings. They haven't won more than three games in a row all year. And those three games were Maryland, Indiana and Northwestern. You know, they've been, you know, up and they've been the Dwayne Washington Jr. of basketball teams this year. Um, but yeah, it's a big loss because of what just like to, to flip it now, you beat Purdue, who was third in the country and a clear number one seed and clearly the best team in the Big Ten. And you beat them by almost 30 points. You drummed them. It was not even a competition. So to turn around, you know, 48 hours later and not even get 60 points against Ohio State on your home floor, you, while Ohio State flipped this momentum back in a positive direction, whatever momentum Michigan's season seemed to be, you know, gaining, you lost that now because now you got to go on the road the next two nights. And Iowa is okay, but Wisconsin, you might, you're probably going to lose that Wisconsin game. And you're probably going to lose that Michigan State game as well. I mean, you've got to go to Ohio State to close out the season after just losing to them at home. And as we've just talked about with Ohio State, there's a chance they might be 7-0 their last seven games coming to that game. So they're going to have all the momentum in the world. And so this was an opportunity for Michigan to really make a statement. And they really they dropped the ball, quite frankly. I, I will say sort of the schedule stuff we're talking about, Michigan plays Illinois twice, Michigan State twice, and Purdue twice. Yeah. And Ohio State plays all those three teams all once. So Michigan did get – now Michigan only plays Wisconsin once, Ohio State played them twice. But Michigan, there's – Michigan probably has two more losses on their schedule just by this, the scheduling of who they got twice and Ohio state didn't. I do think as we look ahead, then, you know what? It, it's hard in basketball sometimes because it's so much about the tournament, but you know, the regular season stuff matters, but Ohio state's not going to win the, the big 10 regular season title. I, I don't think that's going to happen. So if you're not going to do that, well, if you're third, if you're fifth, if you're fourth, if you're tied for second, it, it matters a little bit less to end the regular season. Michigan at Ohio State, and there have been times, I remember when I, when I was on the basketball beat, I think Ohio State had Wisconsin in some season-ending games in uh, the Schottenstein Center that were really good. Sometimes that last game of the regular season can feel really weighty. I remember when Ohio State went to Michigan State and beat Michigan State on senior day, Draymond Green's senior year. That was really weighty. There can be some stretch of like okay this is this matters but it's also like the last statement you make before it's tournament time march 6 sunday march 6 12 30 tip off michigan at ohio state again after you know ohio state will have played michigan state and illinois by then did does michigan are they able to get a win against illinois or michigan state i think that's gonna really tell it potentially has a chance steven for that last game of the regular season to really be a defining game for two teams that are good, but I think it's possible by that point in early March, we're still not going to be sure exactly how good, not exactly how good. And who looks like the better team in this rematch in March might be the thing of like, okay, well then that's the team we think is going to make the sweet 16 because if Michigan gets it together, now they go on a run. No, Ohio state finished it out seven and one. They look super hot. I'm looking forward to that. That has a chance to be 
really meaningful and not just meaningful, but informative, Stephen, about both of these teams? Because we did, I think this told us a lot. This last Ohio State-Michigan game told us a lot, but I think the next one will too. It's not as weighty as this this last year's final game was just because both of those two teams were top 10 teams in the country at the time. But the way the Ohio State-Illinois game ended and – that was not a way that you wanted to close out the season where it looked like you were going to win the game. And then all of a sudden Kofi Coburn and Io DeSumo just take over the game. And Dwayne Washington Jr. basically wasted a 32 point outing. Ohio State can't let that happen again. It can't yeah. waste the EJ Liddell, Malachi Branham, have a great night. And then a third guy comes along and it looks like, all right, you're rolling away with this. And then Hunter Dickinson gets going you know, or, you know, or somebody else on Michigan's team get going. That's, that's what, why, how I'm going to look at it. Don't repeat the Illinois Ohio state game. Send your, get yourself to the end of the season and end on a positive note. Three home games next for the Buckeyes starting Tuesday night versus Minnesota. Then it's Iowa. Then it's Indiana before they go on the road to Illinois again, eight and four in the big 10 right now. That certainly is an opportunity, Stephen, for them to be 11 and four in the big 10 with after these three home games, which would, which would be a great position for them to be in They're eight and four, they're 15 and six. Steven will keep bringing you the info on these guys in stories at cleveland.com slash OSU on the texts at 614-350-3315. And here on Buckeye talk, we'll keep dropping in basketball podcasts. The rough schedule is like one week. It'll be Steven and Nathan doing a recruiting podcast. The next week it'll be me and Steven doing basketball. We'll kind of go back and forth every on those before we go Stephen Super Bowl thoughts it looked like Joe Burrow was maybe going to lead the Bengals to a, either a game tying field goal or a game winning touchdown at the end of that one Sam Hubbard made a couple plays uh, for the Bengals there not a coronation for Joe Burrow but made some plays um, I thought the refs picked the absolute wrong time to decide to start throwing flags because they had missed some blatant ones beforehand and um, I'm not a Bengals fan, but if I was a Bengals fan, I'd be screaming that we do nothing but focus on offensive line all, su- all summer. I don't care if it's a draft or free agency, because to be honest with you, it looked like Joe Burrow was ready to go win that game. It's just like, what are you going to do when Aaron Donald's sitting in your lap? So that's those are my biggest but great game. Really great Super Bowl. Really great game. Um, halftime show was amazing. Um, I'm happy for Odell Beckham, even if everybody else in Northeast Ohio is not. Um, so, yeah. Hopefully Aaron Donald doesn't retire. No, that'd be good. I mean, it'd be a heck of a way to go out on top. That dude yeah. is as, as good as anybody. And then somebody said if he and Brady, they both retire at the same time, and if they don't come back, that'd be a heck of a Hall of Fame class if those yeah. guys go in together. Arguably the greatest player of all time, and then arguably the greatest defensive tackle of all time, and certainly I think the most impactful defensive player of his generation. Um, that third and one run call is a little rough. I mean, it's it's tough again that late in the game just like let joe burrow do his thing um and then you just saw that fourth the one throw he wanted t higgins and the rams played it well but i almost i didn't love even the route call there jamar chase was on the other side of the field and burrow whatever they had called he looked at t higgins and i think it might have been the tight end or somebody else out there and the the sort of the, the one db dropped off the other route and got in front of higgins and took that away and then burrow once he didn't have his first read then aaron donald's there and you know, it would have been nice maybe to be able to go to Jamar Chase there. But, you know, Joe Burrow has a lot, I think, of opportunities ahead of him. So, okay. 
And if you want more about that, I just got done with an Orange and Brown Talk podcast where we went over the whole Super Bowl. We talked about Odell Beckham a lot and what the Browns can and can't learn from the fact that that guy looked pretty good as a Ram the second half of the season. We'll be back with more Buckeye Talk uh, on Tuesday. We do have a pod plan for some point this week about the 2023 Buckeyes. Are they really going to be a super team or not? We did that last July. And now it's like, okay, well, where were we right? Where were we wrong? Certainly one of the things that's changed is that Quinn Ewers is not going to be Ohio State's quarterback in 2023. So Nathan and Steven, I've actually already recorded that. That'll drop either Tuesday or Wednesday. For now, thanks for joining us on the Basketball Buckeyes. For Steven Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.